We are in the fourth week of our This Is Us series. And if you've had the experience of being involved in one of our This Is Us small groups around Trinity, then you know that we are experiencing eight weeks, 16 stories over eight weeks out of the book of Acts. And this morning in particular, we're gonna be talking about the aftermath of what we talked about last week. And last week we discussed how Peter and John ran into a lame beggar right outside the steps of the temple and healed him by Jesus' power. And the, the question becomes now, what happened next? What happened next in the life of that man and in the lives of Peter and John, in the lives of the, the temple of priests who were watching and listening to all these words that were spoken about Jesus and this power that happened, uh, healing this lame beggar outside the temple gates? That's our focus today. And so when Tim read the word, just a few minutes ago, he talked about exactly what Peter and John ran into in the aftermath. So I'd ask you just to kind of join me in a quick prayer, uh, and let's just open our hearts before God this morning. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the story of Peter healing the lame person outside of, uh, of the temple gates. It gives us so much hope, because we know that we don't have to be holy, we don't have to be perfect to be touched by God. And in fact, the touching by God happens through regular, ordinary people, which we'll study today. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus in the flesh. Thank you for sending him to people just like me, regular, ordinary people who need a touch from God, who need healing from God. But Lord, as we dive in and as we explore your word this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts um, would just fill, be filled with your grace, God, and, and pour out your mercy, and that they would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. So be with us, God, in, in this discussion now, in this time. In your name we pray, and together we say, amen and amen. Well, as Tim read a little bit ago, when Peter and John were encountered by a temple uh, priest and, and the guard and, and a group of religious leaders called the Sadducees, uh, you'll find this, by the way, in Acts chapter 4, if you want to look back over that again. The reason that they had such a hard time with Peter and John and their message is because Peter and John were teaching about the resurrection. Now, what is a resurrection? What is it? What's a resurrection? It's new life. It's coming back to life after you do what? After death, right? And so Peter and John were preaching and teaching about resurrection in conjunction with this very physical thing that they had just done to serve the man who was lame, who couldn't walk as he was sitting and begging outside the temple gates, right? But as he was teaching about resurrection, he was encountered by people who, uh, in the Sadducees, did not believe in resurrection. And so the Sadducees, as they approached him, had an immediate problem with his message because Sadducees taught that when you live in this life, what you've got in front of you is all you got. And when you die, you are done. Your life is over. There's no afterlife. There's no legacy. There's nothing to carry on. There's no spirit that goes to heaven or hell. You just plain stop. Now think about that for a second. How many people in our lives around us today believe the same thing? And when you think about the idea of resurrection, 
What makes resurrection so powerful is that resurrection brings hope to the dead, doesn't it? When you encounter the idea of resurrection, that means that when your body dies one day, someday there is hope that you will come back to life. And it's not the kind of hope where you say, I hope that happens to me if I'm good enough. It's the kind of hope that says, I can count on coming back from the dead. And this is something that gave hope to Peter and John. It's something that gives hope to Christ followers all over the world 2,000 years later. Even on your worst hair day, when you get home from work and have such a bad day, you know that at the end of the day, you win. You know that even if you experience death, that death has not conquered you. At the end of the day, you will rise again. Now, does that give you hope? That gives me hope, and it puts life in perspective. But these religious leaders, the Sadducees, they did not believe in a resurrection. And so they had a difficult time with Peter and John teaching that there was an afterlife. But you know what was funny about that is that even as Peter and John were sharing the good news of Jesus, they recognized and understood that their message might encounter some disruption. Because at the end of the day, there are going to be people that at the end of this life believe there is no hope, that there is no going on, and that all I need to do is focus on this life because this life is all I have. I would suggest that there are people all around us today that have bought into that idea that this physical life is all I have, and when they put my body in the grave, what happens to my life? It stops. There's no reboot. There's no spirit to being with uh, the Spirit of God in heaven. That's the crux. That's the apex of the good news of Jesus. And that hope will be disruptive to people who don't believe that there's anything after this life. That's why Peter and John were having such a hard time with this group, the Sadducees and the Temple Garden folks, is because they were having difficulty believing that there was any hope beyond this life. And the Jesus that they encountered, they believed wasn't the Messiah because they were looking for a military Messiah, someone to come and relieve them from the pressure, the oppression of the Romans. But instead, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus relieved them from the oppression of death, and he gave them new life. Whether they received that message or not was entirely their, their choice. Think about it this way. Whenever we represent that hope, the hope in the resurrection, whenever we enter into a conversation after we've got a new relationship with somebody and we share with them the hope that they have, Sometimes people will hear that message and look at the presentation of that hope and sometimes they will say, no, thank you. I can't believe that. That's too much for me. But sometimes, sometimes you will be in the place and time that God has preordained for that message to come across to the right person and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will receive that message and it will save their souls. Think about that for a minute. Stew in that for just a moment. God can and will use ordinary, regular people like you and me to share a message that will change lives. 
not only in this life today, but also for how long? For eternity. And the fact is, whenever we enter into that conversation where that message is shared, there's a risk. The risk is that some will reject, and the reward is that some will receive that message. But regardless of whether people reject it or receive it, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. And it's not success or failure for you and me as to whether people receive the message or reject it. So as we enter into the risk of sharing the good news of Jesus, there's really no way we can lose, is there? There's really no way we can lose because God is the one who is at work in that message. Something else you'll encounter about this story as you scan on a little bit further. The religious leaders were tasking Peter and John with answering a question. By what name, by whose name, and by what power are you healing people? Now, they weren't considering the power of the healing that had occurred. They weren't taking into consideration that a man's life was altered forever and was changed. They were simply threatened by the power of God that was working through Jesus in his life. And as that threat came, they tasked Peter and John with answering the question, by whose power are you working these miracles? And Jesus drops the name of all names. Or Peter and John drop the name of all names, Jesus. They use his name to demonstrate that there is power in the name of Jesus that Jesus' name carries power with it. Jesus' name represents the power of God at work in the world. And then Peter calls back into their memory this scripture from the Old Testament that talks about the cornerstone. Now, if you've ever encountered a new building before, or even an old building that you've gone and visited, and you were curious about that big rock at the corner of the beginning of the building. That's called the cornerstone, isn't it? What does a cornerstone do? It kind of holds up the, the main you know, load-bearing wall, right? The, the whole structure of the building falls on the strength and veracity of the cornerstone, doesn't it? Well, the Bible calls the Messiah the cornerstone. And in fact, as the cornerstone is represented, the cornerstone is shown to be Jesus in that faith in God is dependent upon the Messiah. Faith in God is aligned with the cornerstone of the Messiah. And the problem the religious, the religious leaders were having is because they didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, nor did they want to believe that Jesus was the cornerstone. Jesus is the one who holds all things together, as someone said. Jesus is the one who holds our faith together. And if we try to have faith in God, and if we try to exercise power in God, and if we try to experience miracles in God, apart from the name of Jesus, then there really is no power, and there really are no miracles, and there really is no faith. Because our faith is wholly dependent upon one, and that one is Jesus. Our faith holds up upon his name, which means that we receive and understand 
whenever miracles happen, whenever lives are changed, that Jesus is the one doing the work. And I don't know about you, but that takes pressure off of me to try to produce in a religious fashion. I don't have to win souls for Christ. I don't have to bring people to the Lord. I don't have to reach new people for Jesus. In fact, what happens is Jesus works through my ordinary everyday life just the way it is. You ever thought about that before? The way your life already works, the people you already know, the relationships you already have, the job you already have, the school your kids already attend. God is already at work in and around those places and those relationships. And he intends to continue to work in those places through people like who? Us, through people like you and me. See, here's the idea. The idea is when Jesus comes into your life and your soul is saved, when you trust in God for the first time through the power of Jesus, there's evidence. There's evidence behind that change. The change that happens in you is evidence. It's evidence to the world that there is a God and that he loves us and that he sent his son Jesus to save us by dying on the cross and then doing what? Rising again from the dead. And if people are looking for proof of God, if people are looking for the proof that Jesus came and died and rose again, then they need look no further than your face because you are the one who has been saved through faith in God, through Jesus Christ. They don't need to go to the library. They don't need to Google it. They don't need to talk to professors at seminaries. They simply need to see you because you are the evidence. And the evidence is a sure thing. If you look at the rest of the reading, you see that the religious leaders, the, the, fair, the Sadducees and those folks around them, you can see that they recognized that there was evidence in the man who was standing there on his feet, not having been able to walk just days earlier. There was real physical evidence. And what did the religious leaders say? They said that these men have been with who? That they've been with Jesus. And they were standing right beside the man who was healed. So the, with the religious leaders, there was no refuting the proof that there was somebody there who had experienced the healing of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How is the healing that that man experienced by the hand of God through Peter and John that day different than the healing that's occurred in your heart and in your soul and that continues to occur? How is that healing any different than the healing that's taken place inside of you? The fact of the matter is it's no different. That healing is just as powerful and just as miraculous, is it not? You are the one who is the proof. You are the one who proves that there is a God and that Jesus saved you. You are the one who gives irrefutable proof to the fact that there is a God who loves all the world. Now, my question for you is this is, have you ever thought about yourself 
that way. Have you ever thought of yourself as the proof that God is alive and active and working miracles? Have you ever thought about your darkest day and how God heals the pain of that day? Whether it's today and you're in the middle of that darkness right now or whether it was 10 or 20 years ago, have you ever thought about how powerful God has worked faith in your heart in spite of that pain? That pain is the proof and that healing is the proof. You are the living proof. And in fact, you are the proof that Jesus is still alive and that Jesus is still healing people by ordinary people like you and me. Look back in the reading. Look at where the religious leaders uh, noticed and recognized that Peter and John were ordinary people. Now, what does that mean? Just like Tim shared in the scripture a little while ago, it means that Peter and John were unschooled. Peter and John had never gone to seminary. Peter and John were preaching, teaching, and leading, and healing by the power of someone else. They didn't go to school and get a certificate or a degree. They were simply average, ordinary people that God used to work miracles through. I would suggest strongly by what the scripture is teaching us, that that same healing and same power happens today through people like you and me, right where we live, right in the relationships that God has already given us. And the way the evidence of that faith works is by you, the person, being out in all those places where people need to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of peace. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of purpose. It gives me the ability to look at my life in the places where God has called me to be, and it makes me look at those places differently. Those places are now places where God is at work and is waiting for divine appointments that he has made between other people and me, where he's brought those people into my life, where the word of God can rise to a new level of exposure. You are the person through whom that will come, whether you believe it and accept it or not. You are the one God is using to do miracles through. They are tiny miracles sometimes. Sometimes they're just a word of encouragement or hope. Sometimes they're taking somebody to a doctor's appointment when they can't drive. Sometimes they're encouraging someone after a bad day at work. Sometimes they're interjecting with peace when a person is in turmoil. Sometimes it's literally just being there because God has placed you there in the moment. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope that my life is not just luck. It's not just circumstance. My life is there by design and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a risky life. It's a life that says, I'm willing to enter into risk so that the good news of Jesus may be shared, knowing full well that some people will say no. But when people say no, we are not going to back down from the message that God has given us through Jesus. We are not going to step away 
and say, my message, the message of my life is not worthy of being shared. Instead, we're going to stand our ground in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to share that Jesus has worked in us healing, and that that is the evidence for a loving God.